Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Ruck after a monster Six Nations weekend. We're all in our happy place here talking to you about our favourite game and, as I say, a major start to the Six Nations. We've got Stuart Barnes, Owen Slot, Alex Lowe, and they've all been in prime form commenting on the Saturday game. We've also got a special Scottish gloating spot, which we'll be revealing shortly. In the Times this morning, Eddie Jones admits that they let down the country. Owen Slot calls them a shadow of an England team and compares Jones not with Jose Mourinho, but with Sven Goran Eriksson, who wasted a golden generation. Owen, do you think now seriously that a generation of great players is, is in danger of passing us by? That is a danger. I think it's completely unnecessary because I think they're so good that they could turn it around with better coaching. More importantly, kind of a different mindset of coaching, if you like. They're not bad players. They're still great players. I think it's the whole thing is eminently retrievable. I just think that they just need to have a complete rethink about as to how they go about the game. The worry for England on Saturday was was partly the mindset and, and tactically the way they go about the game, where Farrell is the sort of the, the, the centre of the problem, but also the fact that, that that Scotland won the physical battle, which is extraordinary. It is. But Stuart, um, for me, uh, Owen saying that coaching, there was no evidence of any coaching. And I think Eddie almost admitted that. It was the worst performance of its type I've ever seen. And it was absolutely shambolic. Now, before we get on to your own point about uh, the, the, the balance between winning and performance, did you get the impression that the whole thing had broken down totally? Yeah, but not because there was no coaching. I think it's broken down because of an absolute weight of coaching. There comes a certain stage, and it happened to Ireland under Joe Schmidt, if you remember, when they were the greatest team in the world, according to our friends across the Irish Sea, and then they were terrible. And I, I think England are so overwhelmingly coached by Jones and treated like boys who are told what to do as opposed to help to see a game that, that it crumbled. To those of us, the few of us in the stands, it looks so obvious, but you watch someone like Finn Russell, who has a broad game plan and then scans the field and makes decisions. And you look at Owen Farrell, who has a detailed game plan and plays to it to the letter. This has to happen in the end. You can't be a great team unless you have that flexibility of thought. Let's go on to Alex. Alex, uh, you reported Eddie uh, putting his hands up in the, in the time this morning and and saying it, it was shocking. You then um, 
went on to talk about what is probably the antithesis of what Stuart's talking about, as he said, with uh, with Finn Russell. And also, then you came on to Cameron Redpath in his first test match. And 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 that was such a contrast. Yeah, it was. I, I looked at, we, we spoke in the build-up about Ollie Lawrence opposite Cameron Redpath, two, two players who started in the same England under-20 midfield together, two best friends. And I just thought, their contrasting contributions almost distilled the whole performance of of the two teams. You know, England picked Ollie Lawrence inside centre to get his hands on the ball, to give them direction, uh, some direct running, some power, some punch in the midfield. And it took 63 minutes before he touched the ball. And in in three test starts, he's had seven carries. In contrast, Cameron Redpath's first touch was to pick a loose ball off the floor and and, uh, and direct a, a perfect kick to touch. He ran with confidence. He he won turnovers on the floor. And I just thought that the contrast between the two w- w- was enormous. And I just wondered whether if England had kept hold of Cameron Redpath and picked him at, at inside centre, would he have played anywhere near the way he played for Scotland? And I, and I, I cannot believe he would because there's, there's no evidence in what we see from Henry Slade, what we see from from Ollie Lawrence, and and can I just say on on on, uh, on Barnsley's point on on coaching, yeah, Eddie's now got to stop reply when when England lose. It's my fault. I didn't prepare the team well enough. When we asked about taking sixty three minutes for Ollie Lawrence to, to get his hands on the ball, for example, England's response was, "Well, you know, we were on the back foot. We didn't have much possession or territory, so therefore we can't pass it to the centres." Eddie called it rugby basics. I had a message exchange with someone yesterday who I consider a real expert in in the art of coaching. And his response to me was, that is just reinforcing their own mindset, their own beliefs. England don't give the ball to their centres in their own half anyway, even if they're on the front foot. So, you know, I think I think there are there are massive sort of cultural mindset issues around it. And, and, and I agree with, with what Barnsley says there. Uh, oh, in cultural mindset issues, um, some of the great coaching teams, for instance, say... Um, when Wales were winning Grand Slams, Gatlin, Sean Edwards, Robin McBride, Rob Howley, it was always the same. With Clive Woodward, it is great one. It was it was himself, it was Phil Lard, it was Andy Robinson. Eddie's changes changes all the time. People come in for sort of drive-by coaching sessions. Simon Amor then comes in from sevens. Is there an incoherence in the coaching structure behind this all, which is actually adding to the confusion? I don't think it's that so much, Jonesy. I think that um, Eddie has recruited a, a pretty high-class uh, coaching team. Question marks over Simon Amor obviously exist. And um, he's missing Jason Riles, who for some reason decided he couldn't come from Australia, which is another matter altogether. For me, the, the, the issue is that Eddie is so headstrong a coach. He needs a, a, another coach who is a breath of fresh air, someone prepared to challenge him. So I would say that uh, of all the people that... England miss it is uh Scott Wisemantle he was the guy who came in in, in 2018 players mm. loved him so he had that free spirit quality about him where uh, he wasn't going to be pinned down by Eddie he wasn't scared of Eddie he was the guy who told the other coaches when Eddie was in a bad mood he would he would lift lift the load and I think the players responded to that and, and they did have a bit of a freedom when when he was around and they haven't anymore uh, Stuart, um, you were just mentioning uh, too much coaching, re- really. But we read, uh, I read this morning that um, Eddie's saying they're going to go through the performance with a forensic scalpel, and um, obviously they're going to go on the training field and train and train to put it right. Do you think there's a case for saying, Eddie, for God's sake, shut up this week, send them out there and let them get on with it? Because I totally agree about overcoaching. 
is could you actually overanalyze Saturday's awful performance too much? Yep. Funny enough, I was thinking about two former second rows, Stuart Hooper and Steve Borthwick, and wondering how Bath and Leicester are going to get on with two coaches who examine the minutiae. And in Borthwick's case, of course, he was under Eddie Jones. There is a, a school of coaching that says you can break down 80 minutes of rugby. You cannot. This is not a stage play where the playwright has written something and you can work out what you're doing. There's 15 other blokes in there punching and kicking and tackling and ruining your game plan. Eddie Jones acts as if he is the director and there's no one to spoil it. There is. And when England are powerful, and we know they're physically powerful, they're hard to stop and they look good. And writers and fans say they're amazing. When they struggle, they go to pieces because the basics are they are overcoached and they're rugby players, not players on a stage, and they they just don't know what to do. Eddie's idea of a player who has rugby management is one who says, yep, good idea, Eddie. And if we do get round to fly half, it really doesn't matter whether they go Farrell, Ford, Danny Cipriani out of retirement, Marcus Smith, unless a fly half argues with his head coach, as Finn Russell famously did with Gregor Townsend at Twickenham in 2019, then the same thing is going to go on. This is the Eddie show. When it goes wrong, it's not the players, it's Eddie's fault. When it goes well, the inference, of course, is that it's Eddie's due credit. Alex, um, we're playing a sort of blame game here. Um, For a start, I think you should uh, tell us if there are any links between England's awful performance and the shambolic effort by Kansas City Chiefs last night. Uh. (laughs) Oh... I've been asleep for four hours. Yeah, do you know what? I sat there watching the Chiefs. They lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-9. And, and I was sitting there thinking there are loads of similarities between this performance. And I mean, the, the final score at Twickenham wasn't a blowout, but the, the gulf in, in performance definitely was. Mm. The Chiefs conceded way too many penalties. They lost the battle up front. And with the Buccaneers having that momentum, they had playmakers, who uh, a playmaker, Tom Brady, who just who just picked them off. The, the, I guess the one, the one difference was that the, the Chiefs' big playmaker Patrick Mahomes went down fighting, and and uh, he did absolutely everything and proved that you, you know what one you can't be the team with one man. P- pretty big contrast between him and, and what Owen Farrell did. I guess a closer comparison with Itoji, who I actually thought took the fight to Scotland as much as he could on his own, but yeah, as a man on his own, couldn't couldn't do it. So I watched I watched England perform like that on Saturday, and I watched the Chiefs perform like that in the early hours of this morning, and yeah. Yeah, quite a few parallels. We're now going to have the Scottish gloating spot. We must switch to the other team, uh, the winning team, the dominant team. We've been joined by Mark Palmer, our Scottish rugby correspondent. Now, um, you've all heard of the Scottish band, the Proclaimers, in fact, uh, with, with the twins. In fact, originally, there were three brothers in the Proclaimers. Mark Palmer was one of them and wrote... Several of their early hits. Not, not many people know that. But just to begin the gloatathon, Mark, did you get back safely? Because I know you drove all the way back to Scotland. I did got back in one piece, thankfully. So uh, yeah, I think the result would have powered us all the way back without any fuel. Okay, good. Thank you for joining us, Mark. It's been it's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, uh, you've waited for that day for 
a, a long, long time. I, I just wonder whether in your upper upper dreams, your wildest dreams, you thought Scotland could play as well as that. No, absolutely not. I mean, you, you know me, I think we're almost beyond the point uh, of, of daring to think of anything when it comes to Twickenham these days. Um, never mind a, a, a win that was so brilliantly constructed like that from, from first to last. It was the, the manner of it, I think, that took everyone by surprise, not least England. I would I'd hesitate to, or I would dare to, dare to suggest, but um, to, to really attack England in their points of strength, line-outs, scrum, collisions, I thought it was a really great strategy that was, you know, was bold, but also very well executed from first to last. So, yeah, um, it was a thoroughly pleasing day. Before the game, we were saying that, uh, you and I were talking with big David Barnes, and we were saying that uh, they, they certainly had a chance of winning, but it all depended on whether they thought deep down themselves that they could win. Well, well, clearly they did. Where did that Where did that come from? Were there some leaders in the team or was that just a frustration over the years or what? I think it, it kind of has been building over the last number of years. You know, there, there have been signs and that something was coming together, I think, since, you know, since Vernon Cotter, never mind since Gregor Townsend replaced him. But, uh, you know, as you say, it was about joining all those dots and bringing it together, which, which hasn't happened in a complete sense until now. Um, some really big performances across the team. Um, a, a lot of the time, you know, they seem to have been waiting for a moment of inspiration from a Finn Russell, from a Stuart Hogg. But it was the fact that, you know, that, that was a, a true 23-man performance, which guys like Rory Sutherland, Xander Ferguson, Scott Cummings, Johnny Gray and the scrum that probably don't get as as, as big a, an attention as your, your playmakers. But, you know, were, were fantastic to a man. Cameron Redpath, I don't think any of us have probably seen a, such a composed debut in that kind of context for, for, for a long, long time. And, yeah, there did seem to be a genuine belief there. Stuart Stewart with us. Stuart, um, was that the best? You, you saw some great Scottish teams in, in, in junior career. Was that the best international performance you've seen by a Scottish team? Yeah, I think it was because it was such a definitive victory. When you asked Mark, uh, where did that come from? I think Gregor Townsend would probably have looked at England in the last year and said, lads, they're not that good. They haven't been that good. They've been nicking games. Scotland have got into a winning habit themselves. So this whole thing about, you know, if you win, that's a great habit. Scotland had that. They looked at England and thought, we can beat them. I've got to say, you know, we looked at it from south of the border and we looked at George Turner being a third-choice hooker. And, you know, immediately you think Scotland have got two professional teams, England have got 12 and all these players. And you're just thinking their resources are stretched, but they did take England in the tight five. The back row eclipsed them. Watson was outstanding. And I think what we should also remember is England actually, in the guise of Atoje, they got to Ali Price. I don't think Ali Price had a game he'll remember. Charged down twice, sliced into touch. So, England achieved in the first 10 minutes the ability to put the pressure on. They gave penalties away, but I think they'd have settled for one or two because they were able to get into the face of Scotland. But Russell and Redpath, who was consummately composed, were able to play their way out. And I, I thought it was a mighty performance from Scotland. I thought Hogg answered his critics who say you can't captain from full back. You can captain if you've got tacticians upfield who will make decisions like Russell and you've got men like Gray and Watson who are showing the effort 
in the pack. We, we've been talking uh, about Redpath uh, before you came on, and um, I just wonder what the reaction has been up in Scotland because they wouldn't have seen an awful lot of him. A lot of people may have been anxious by his selection as a as a young kid for for Twickenham, but what's been the reaction up there to this new wonderkind? Excitement, as you would probably have expected, but the you know, and, and probably a bit of um, a bit more appreciation for the all-round game that he brings. You know, there, there'd been a lot of anticipation to see what he could bring as that kind of second playmaker alongside Finn Russell and how they would spin off each other, which they did do, as you saw, and that you know they were keen to get the ball into red pass hands frequently and early, which really brought him into the game. But I think the other side of his game that really came out, the kind of um, the more sort of uh, prosaic side of it, he's, he's a good carrier. He wants to get involved all the time. You know, he's looking for those jackal turnovers. He, he, you know, it's an all-round 12 that they probably haven't had since Duncan Taylor was in his prime, which sadly didn't, doesn't last all that often with all those injuries. So a genuine kind of sense of anticipation as to what could be built alongside Russell, I think, over over a number of years. You know, the guy's 21, for goodness sake. So uh, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of hope there. Owen, do you think there's any chance we, we've been a little bit hard on Eddie in the sense that Scotland's forwards were so good, so powerful, and, and they maintained it through the, the replacement phase as well, that Scotland were actually just too, too good for them? Sorry, so I'm slightly off the pace. I've just been Googling Mark Palmer and the Proclaimers. What, what, so Mark, what was it that you did with the Proclaimers? Were you, did you play the triangle or, or, um, or, did you, or were you actually the songwriter? <laughs> He wrote five hundred miles. That one, you know. Hey, well, uh, he wrote. He wrote that one. That, that's his claim. Certainly drove them, Stuart. But that was. Don't forget that was under a, a, a under his uh, stage name. Good. Well, I have to say that your writing's come on a long way since you uh, joined the Times. Then I think it's a fair point on on the forwards. So England's tactics and overcoaching is the, the big background to this. But yeah. but but Eddie was right. You, 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 it, there's a limit to how much you can criticise their tactics from Saturday when they was when they their, their lack of possession was the was the problem and the reason they that they lost the game. That for me was the extraordinary part of the match. I wasn't surprised to see Farrell kick the ball away because we've seen him do that so often. I wasn't surprised that he played an unintelligent rugby game because because that's what we're becoming to associate with him. But I was surprised that Scotland did such a job with, on them in in all the forward exchanges, in the set pieces, at, at the breakdown, all, all the areas of the game, the collisions where England traditionally just assume or, or not, but they managed to come out on top because it's such a big physical team so it was just huge credit to Scotland for uh, for managing that and and then likewise just question marks to England on their preparation that they weren't managed to didn't manage to get into that fifth gear or anywhere close I just I'll just add Lawrence Lawrence isn't with us today but he he sent me a text yeah, Lawrence won't come on when England lose will no, he no he did no, he insisted. He insisted it was nothing to do with England losing. But he, well, we, we were mess- exchanging messages during the Super Bowl last night, and he he sent me a stat. He said that England kicked thirty five times in the game, and Scotland kicked forty three times, which just goes to show that it's not about how much you kick, but it's about how intelligently you kick and what you do off the back of it. Um, and mm. you know, we've highlighted a couple of incidents in the paper today where England had huge overlaps, well, you know, either in terms of space, two two on ones or six on two, and and the mindset for England, which was the same in the autumn, Owen Farrell doesn't look out there. His, his first instinct is put boot to ball and grubber it through. So you you, you can't you can't turn that tide as as Mark and, and you you just said, Steve, you know, if the pressure's on, England can 
uh, Scotland were, were finding ways out of it with, with Russell and Redpath and, and Hogg kicking intelligently, running well, and England didn't have any of those solutions at all. Actually, the fact is that Lawrence is tucked up in bed after watching the Super Bowl, and, and you, Alex, made the effort to get up and join us on the ruck, so well done you. Well, thank you. Exactly. Yes, quite. I've never heard Lawrence done as a staffer either. Thank you very much to Mark, and the censors appear to have um, uh, stopped him in full stride. Stuart, Scotland have got to carry on. Can they do it? Are they challengers for the title? They've got the performance and the win at Twickenham. They've got a great chance of the Triple Crown at the very least now. Expectations are extremely high in Scotland. They've been building two years. Um, I think Scotland have to, at the very least, end up contenders this season. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. A weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, rugby union referee Nigel Owens talks candidly about coming to terms with his sexuality, the impact it had on his mental health, and having tried to take his own life at 24, how rugby eventually saved him. People say, you know, you should never look back, always look forward. Well, looking back is important as well because looking back can help you move forward. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. Nigel Owens, in his own words. Now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. There was another game yesterday and there was another one on Saturday. Some of us were holding the Times banner when others uh, state remained in their uh, in their tents on on Sunday. Wales and Ireland, very, very bizarre indeed. I know we're used to uh, empty stadiums now, but to be at the millennium of all, uh, the principality rather of all stadiums, was very, very fun, odd, odd experience. But a tremendous 
compelling game for the neutral and for the people on uh, who sided with one of the teams, and indeed possibly tilted one way or the other by someone I didn't think should ever have been there. I think Peter O'Mahony is being picked because he's an icon. I think his effective views are well behind him. But my God, he had an effect on Saturday with a ludicrous charge. Before we asked the boys what they thought of it, um, the carnage was incredible. Wales are most likely going to miss four players from the game, including Dan Lydiot, who'd begun like a dream. Johnny Williams, Hallam Amos uh, is struggling. Uh, Thomas Williams, too. And Lydiot will be out. And uh, as far as the Irish went, there were HIAs for four players. Uh, Robbie Henshaw, Johnny Sexton and uh, James Ryan could be struggling. We don't know. So but you all know that the press box at the Millennium is uh, is really low, very close to the action. And with no crowd, the crunch of the game was absolutely frightening. So, Owen, what did you make of it? It was one of those games that I really enjoyed because it was it was a bit of a sitting on the edge of your seat sort of. I found it quite excruciating watching Wales failing to stitch the better game together because they they, they, with Ireland down to fourteen, Wales should have moved up a gear. But that was the kind of the drama of the uh, the dramatic narrative of the game is that Ireland went down to fourteen and then started playing the, the better the better rugby and the more convincing rugby and could Wales finally turn it around? So it had a real sort of a, a great um, narrative to it the, the whole game. And then then this dramatic finish when Gareth Davis really should have dealt, dealt with dealt with the end of the game, but he kept the game alive and, and Ireland nearly came back and, and did him at the death. I thought it was a um, a great Six Nations game. I would have said occasion, but it probably lacked the sense of occasion. A great game, full of errors, full of personality, full of interest. There were any number of ways towards the end, Stuart, where Ireland could have sneaked it. Yeah, I disagree slightly with Owen in the sense I don't think it was a great game. I thought it was an extremely scrappy game, a typical Six Nations game. Wales did what they had to do. I'm a great one for talking about performance, but when you have a lost record like Wales last year. This was a game they had to win. And, and, and you know, when Omani went, it became even more crucial for them. Defeat would have been disastrous for PVAC. So they've got their win, but I think Ireland came out of it looking the better team. I thought they did tremendously with 14 men. Uh, 65 minutes, I thought Tyg Byrne was tremendous, uh, along with Porter, Steve. I thought the Irish front five um, stuck at it better than we've seen for some time from them. You know, they lost Ryan as well. So compelling, yes. But I think France and Scotland will look at that and go, we can win this. I mean, Scotland have got those two teams at home. Is that right? Yeah. You listed the carnage, Jonesy. Scotland, with a fairly clean bill of health, will fancy themselves now against teams that, Played with fire and without fury, but not the greatest control. And with, with Sexton gone, you saw what happened with poor Billy Burns at the end. Question marks all over the place. Tough, physical, exciting. But I think the team that will be most happy about that match is Scotland. Billy Burns, we should discuss that because he got, took an absolutely ferocious pounding on social media, etc. But very difficult for him because if he finds a safe touch 20 metres out, or even 15 metres out, Ireland not going to score anyway. I did feel he had to go for it. On the other hand, let's be fair, Billy, uh, God bless him, has never been a regular in the Premiership team in this country. And I don't possibly think he's just slightly below the class. But I couldn't, you couldn't blame him for the defeat, surely. 
The, the social media boys are talking absolute nonsense. They don't have a clue. Johnny Sexton, after the game, said he made the right call. It was a poor kick. There's no doubt about it. Mm. But you don't berate someone for having the um, balls to go for it. Sure, sure. Don't forget, Henry Slade did exactly the same and finished a yard the right side of the line. Chaps, um, England, Italy, just quickly, um, is there any point in expecting any form of proper international rugby, Alex Lowe, on the weekend against a team as poor as Italy? All Most of them come from Treviso, whose record is played 10, lost 10. How can that possibly be relevant on the weekend? I guess... In a positive sense for England, it's hard to make it relevant because we saw you know, we saw what France did to Italy in Rome. That's that's the benchmark that England should be aiming for. So England need to be winning comfortably. If they don't, then it can only be a negative. The way their confidence is and the way they're playing, I think it's a it's a dangerous day for them. Not because I think they'll lose, but I just wonder how they can how they will end up using it to, to take things forward. I think there's a there's an obvious danger that they win fairly well and and think oh, okay everything's back on the road again we're fine the signs go back a lot longer that that things aren't fine at the moment for, for England they they found ways to win towards the end of last year which was mainly the reason why I thought they'd win this championship and maybe they still will because they just seem to find ways to win but they were so comprehensively outplayed on Saturday that I'm not sure playing Italy next actually helps them a huge amount in terms of the development oh and, and Stuart who do you like who would you like to see out there for England this weekend who would be different that you'd like to see in operation? As, I, as we discussed at the top, I think this is a golden generation of England players. And on the whole, I think um, Eddie's picking the right people. But I would make some changes. I would change the number eight for sure. I think Billy is still not nowhere near where he was in 2016. God, England must just be desperate to see him get back to his best and would hope that he would get back to his best. But he just isn't there. And there are so many good back rowers around at the moment that persevering with him is a nonsense. You could play him off the bench maybe, which would be really exciting. But... I would uh, I would change your back row. My back row would be starting wise would be uh, Courtney Laws at six. I bring Ben Earl in at seven because I think he's just fantastic. He's so, he just needs to play our whole game and Tom Curry at eight. So that'd be the, uh, one change. And then I, I just think that the big question is: Do you change the ten? Do, do you say Owen, you, you're just you're just not doing it? But the thing is, Eddie won't. You know, I, I would do, but alternatively, I, I would rather have Owen playing at. A, an unblinkered, free-thinking game. But Barnes is probably sighing when I say that because because we don't really think he can do that. But but at the moment, the way the 10 is playing is not is not good enough and not right for England. So I would seriously consider changing forward for Farrell, but it just won't happen. I have sympathy for any fly half pick to play under Eddie Jones. You've got to be strong. I don't think Ford or Farrell. Ford should clearly play. He's a better fly half than Farrell. Farrell is not... A man with the broad vision of the game. He's a committed warrior. La, 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 la. He is not a world-class outside half. I think England should use the defeat to say, unlike last year, right, let's regroup and try and win this tournament. They should say, okay, let's look at a few players. I'd love to see the likes of a dog woo start. Why the hell not? Exactly. Um, But if there's one thing that's key, it's eight, nine and ten. I played and watched this game of rugby for a long time. And I'll tell you one thing. If you have an overweight, out of form, number eight, who hasn't played well for two years, a scrum half who plays one man of the match game and then five fools of the match, and a fly half who only does as he's told without looking in front of him, you have a recipe for a team that cannot possibly improve. My team would have Max Malins at fullback, um, 
Elliot Deli for me always looks like a centre playing at fullback. I, I would have Max Maylins there. I would also try Tom West of of Wasp on the loose end because I don't think Alex Alex Genge has got it, and I think that Ben Urbano would be better coming on coming on as sub. But um, there we go. I think we've given uh, England and Scotland a fair dusting, Wales and Ireland. But obviously, the unseen enemy or the uh, the, the unspoken enemy at the moment is France. Um, we couldn't judge by their performance against Italy, but Alex. Have they now become, with the demise of England, quite serious championship favourites? Yes, they have. They yeah, they put fifty points on Italy uh, at a cruise. Antoine Dupont just just doing what he wants, and and that was without a couple of their their better players. They are now, you know, if a Grand Slam is going to be won, you'd you'd look at them as uh, as favourites, and if the title is going to be won, same thing. Um, I think the fixture list helps them too, and you know they, they've been able to kind of warm up into the tournament with a with, with a training one really against Italy. So yeah, they're, they're looking dangerous to me. We'll, we'll come on to what Owen thinks about uh, the possibility for Ireland and France on the weekend. But Stuart, um, you've been warming to this French team increasingly over the last say year, year or so. Are they the team to beat now? And where is their prime area of strength? They were pretty good by the end of the World Cup. They've got a new coaching team and that's lifted them. They've been the best team in Europe since they beat England last year. They're pulling away, I think, a little bit, despite Scotland's win. I still think their pack doesn't have that crunch and chaos of of the old day, but they're organised, they're athletic. Behind the scrum, I think, Steve, halfback is is the key. Whereas I didn't see one other nation with a, a really impressive combination at nine and 10, I thought, well, Antoine Dupont is arguably the best player on the planet now. He's arguably the best scrum half in the world. I've had a bit of a, a thing for him on the rugby front for some time now. But a lot of people in, in the UK and Ireland said, yeah, but Roman Entomax out. I think that Mathieu Jalibert is probably technically more accomplished fly half as well. Entomax is a lovely player, makes scything breaks, can do all sorts of brilliant things. But I think the best French halfback combination is Jalibert and Dupont with Entomac coming off the bench. And if if you're saying there's not another team in the Six Nations with a top-class halfback combination and France have an accomplished pack, then even without Vakitawa at centre, they have to be the team to beat. They are the team to beat. And, and in many ways, considering what the game needs and how France have tried to play, English or not, I hope they do go on and win a Grand Slam and not just because I tipped them to in the Times on Sunday. Well said. Uh, Owen, um, Ireland have got to win on Saturday in a home game, which which can change the stakes a bit. Just absolutely critical game now for France if they do have Grand Slam aspirations. And who do you think is going to win? I'd just like to say, I wish I'd said everything Barnsley said just now because I agree with it word for word. So I think France would have been favourites for that anyway, but uh, Ireland are at slightly uh, sixes, sevens and eights and tens, actually. Um, they've had a few HIAs that need to rec- they need to recover from in double quick time to keep players. Uh, even if Johnny Sexton does get through his um, HIA, which is questionable, uh, he's not going to train much with the team this week. 
he was good for about 35 minutes on um, uh, yesterday, but um, not, not the whole game. We're, we're, uh, people are blaming Billy Burns for a missed kick, but he missed a crucial one himself. Uh, so uh, I, th- I think Ireland have got issues there. They need James Ryan back. There's, so, there's huge questions there. So the re- real pressure, and as, as, as Barnsley put it so brilliantly, it, uh, France are purring and pulling ahead. So I wouldn't see them being tagged back on this one. And as far as I'm concerned, as the sole Times representative at Cardiff yesterday, I um, think that uh, Scotland, uh, I think they will kick on, actually. Although the only thing is in the favour of Wales, that I think Wales had either four or five players who were playing their first game for ages and a few others were only playing their second game. And you would think that they would train on. And actually, Mm -hmm. in terms of the injuries, Thomas Williams being out to replaced by Gareth Davis, and uh, Johnny Williams being out and replaced by Nick Tompkins, who really added something. I actually think the Welsh team is stronger with 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 those changes. Can I just button just a second? I just don't want our listeners to think that you were the only person at Cardiff yesterday because none none of the rest of us would give a is not representative of the truth, is it? They're going to they're going to they're going to look at us and think that, that, that we don't care and we're not doing our job properly, and they're going to have second thoughts. They might go to the Telegraph. I mean, you've, 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 I think we just got to let them know that we were only allowed one person there, and that you, you were the person who said you wanted to go. Do you think Slotty caught on raw nerve there, lads? <laughs> I didn't want to go. Okay, oh, didn't you? Oh, okay. Well, as the only person who uh, volunteered for the game. Actually, I think that Wales will be stronger because um, four or five of them were playing their first game. Nick Tompkins and Gareth Davis, when they came on, improved the team. So I think that'll be that'll be close. I still think Scotland would be favourites. And I really do fancy um, France uh, and I fancy England, but that's not difficult to do. So let's we now move on to our... God or Goddess of the Week, Owen? I think it's just the easiest call of the lot. God of, God of the Week is Gregor Townsend for preparing Scotland so brilliantly and doing something they haven't done for 38 years. Fantastic. OK, God of the Week, Gregor Townsend. Alex Lowe? I couldn't disagree. If I was to pick somebody else, I'd pick Cameron Redpath for just one of the most accomplished debuts um, that you'll see you know, for Scotland away from... Gregor Townsend made a, a lovely point in the in the post-match that in 1993 he made his England, his Scotland debut against England at, at Twickenham and that Cameron Redpath on his Scotland debut against England at Twickenham took it far better. Gregor was against a really good player that day though, Alex. He, he <laughs> A fly half who made his own mind up. <laughs> okay, you can't, being as you can't vote for yourself, Stuart, who was yours? I toyed with the idea of Redpath and Russell, midfield backs, creative... But I know Italy are terrible, but just for a bit of poetry, the pass that Antoine Dupont gave for one of the French tries as he fell one way and just flipped it back the other was so gorgeous that he is my god of the week. I know Italy were no opposition. It was very easy. But he makes you smile watching rugby, and I think in these times that's pretty important. Okay, well, I'll just choose mine from my lone vigil in Cardiff. And I think I'm going to go for Andrew Porter. He did keep it all together. And when if he'd, if he'd collapsed, the whole thing could have gone down like a pack of cards. So Andrew Porter uh, is my God of the Week. Guys, thank you very much. Really good chat today. Three more uh, games on the weekend. We'll be back on the Ruck next Monday. And uh, we'll be back next week with the Ruck. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, Stuart. See you soon.